season four, episode five of Succession called Kill List is still over, but we are just getting started wrapping up week five of Succession here on Post Show Recaps. I'm Jess Sterling, and this week I'm joined by someone with the most barnacly chewy earlobes I've ever seen, Mike Bloom. Do you want to see them? Should I give the... Yeah, let me... Oh my God, look at those chewy earlobes. <laughs> they're they're actually fairly significant. I'm not mm-hmm. sure if they are on the level of Sarah Snooks, but I would say like, you know, if you're trying to get high quality barnacle meat, mine would probably be like the second grade. yeah i feel like i got a bit of a chewy earlobe as well because i have the one like the detachable ones you know (laughs) detach they're detached i guess yeah not detachable (laughs) Detachable. (laughs) you're not mr potato head jess (laughs) this is such a way to start a podcast just talking about your loves. Yeah, who would have thought? Jess Sterling reveals herself to be a leper halfway <laughs> mm-hmm. through Succession Season 4. That's been the biggest twist of all. Yeah, you could just take my earlobes off, switch them out for someone else's, no problem. Well, um... listen, so many people are switching places when it comes to power positions. Might as well switch body parts as well. Yeah, so very obviously Josh Wiggler is not here with us this week. <laughs> well, yeah, he definitely would have won this tomfoolery fly. He would not sure. have allowed all of this nonsense. Um, he's away. He'll be back next week. So it's me and Mike Bloom this week holding things down to wrap up this wild week in succession. Um, I would say a bit of a, I don't even know how to describe this episode. It feels like partly return to form. Uh, the first kind of uh, location-based episode we've had mm. in a bit. Had in a bit. Um, beautiful Norway. I would love to oh, go to Norway. See yes, I mean, definitely the most beautiful place they filmed for such like a show that is based around the corporate sense of everything and does feel like such an urban show purposely so you know they talked about this a bit when they went to caroline's wedding at the end of last season but like really here amongst the sprawling fjords and mountains it felt like a more grounded episode of succession i say as we're going to talk about a man who sent half liters of blood to his employee slash lover as a joke but not a joke but as a joke yeah it, it well it started out as a joke mike it's a very obviously funny i really love uh shiv saying well first good one <laughs> yeah first just to acknowledge the elephant in the room that was a good one mm-hmm. real knee slapper even though don't slap your knee because you're probably fairly you know uh, anemic at this point from all the blood that you've lost yeah uh so let's let's get into it we have some headlines to go over of course then we're getting into our rate roys uh if you haven't been sending in scores and you want to you can rate the characters you can rate the episode you can send us some feedback posterrecaps.com slash rate roy um first thing big news mike uh sarah snook and kieran colkin have both moved up to lead drama actor and actress categories for the emmy nominations which well deserved i feel like 100 percent. though i was I was a little sad that in true essence of, you know, life imitating art, that Kieran Culkin got the bump to lead actor, but Sarah Snook stays at supporting actress, right? Like, okay, we promised all three of us in it together. And then, of course, it's Kendall and Roman that are nominated and Shiv has to stay back in supporting actress. But no, this makes total sense. I mean, we're sure going to get into it. I think a lot of people this past week have been correctly lauding Roman this episode his best you know performance yet as a character Kieran Culkin's best work on the season people are saying okay 
watch out, Jeremy Strong. You might have a little brother nipping at your heels in more ways yeah. than one. So I think it does make sense as well, given like, you know, the theming and literal presence of Brian Cox not existing for the remaining seven episodes after his death here, unless we do some sort of weird six feet under ghost like thing near the end of the season. We pretty much think this is done for him. It right. makes sense then to, I think, supplant that with moving up Kieran Culkin, who the storyline this season has been these three siblings working together. It feels thematically sensical for them to also be sort of brothers and sisters in arms within the same level of nomination as well. Yeah, especially like maybe back in season two, I would have said, okay, Jeremy Strong is really the one who's uh, carrying the siblings in a way, right? It felt like he was above and beyond a lot of the performances on the show. Not that everyone isn't fantastic in their own right, yeah. but he was just on another planet with his performance. But yeah, I, I would have said- because he has them on his back, but he doesn't know what to do with his arms. They're very <laughs> untimely. So no one does. You put them in your pockets. What are you supposed to do with your arms? Um, but I would have said, even in season three, I would have been pushing for Kieran Culkin at the very least to be making the move to lead. Because I felt like his performance in season three was so well done. And mm -hmm. so well-deserved for both Sarah Snook and Kieran Culkin to be moving up to this lead category um, for actor and actress. I just, I'm very interested to see now that, because before, right, we had, um, it was Kieran Culkin competing with like Matthew McFadden, who was the yeah. one winning for that category so now it seems like well okay now we have jeremy strong versus kieran culkin maybe matthew mcfadden can get another win because he doesn't have as much competition anymore either yeah that'll be interesting uh i mean it i will say so far i mean again we still have five more episodes which we'll certainly talk about but you know i guess you could cite if we're looking into okay what are they submitting right as their episode as their scene you could look at i guess the final scene of that first episode that really good tom and shiv scene for him, otherwise, it hasn't been a huge Tom S season, especially since yeah. I know that you all have been talking about, right? Like the Tom and Greg dynamic being off and being different, which I think contributed so heavily to the love of this character. I mean, another thing that could happen is could Kieran Culkin and Brian Cox do a little do si do? Here. I, I would have to be right i mean well actually brian cox would he not just be considered for guest at this point how many I, episodes I, do you have to be on yeah i always forget what the rule is for guest actor because i always assume like okay if you're in the main cast you don't qualify for yeah. best guest actor but maybe that's not the case because yeah. we were also talking as well in the discord this past week about like okay where's Scarsguard gonna be because this was a big right. Scarsguard episode and i got to imagine he's gonna show up in some way but he is credited main cast. He's only appeared in two episodes this season so far. So I'm not entirely sure how that ticky tack's going to work out. Yeah, it's going to be interesting nonetheless, especially with Brian Cox. You have to imagine he's going to be submitting the scene with himself and Colin at the diner. That feels yeah. like the biggest scene that Logan has. Or, or maybe the uh, I love you're you all, but you're not, you're not serious people. His final scene with his kids. Yeah, I could see that one as well. But regardless, it's really exciting news to see both of these uh, actors finally being moved up to lead. I feel like they, it's well-deserved. It's well-earned, especially this season. I feel like, like you said, with Brian Cox gone, it's even more for them to shoulder moving forward. And I think that uh, specifically, I'm, I have my eyes on Sarah Snook because I think between her and Matthew McFadden, we're going to get some really, really amazing work. We've already had that one really, really intense emotional scene with them this season. I we're not we're not done yet. I don't think. No, we can't. I mean, what was so interesting about the 
barnacle ear meat scene this episode was it was a brand new side of them than what we saw before so this like this is some sort of polygon that continues to show faces we think like okay there's just a couple of sides to it and then it becomes a cube and then it becomes like a dodecahedron like it just keeps transforming into this multifaceted shape we're now as you've talked about and has been talked about in the deep dive podcast as well going to like the playground style teasing but then there was this one shot as i was rewatching the episode where tom takes a step forward and shiv takes a step back and it almost seemed to me like a dance uh and we know that dance has a lot of sexualization to it i've watched enough dancing with the stars and have bruno tonioli stand up (laughs) and talk about what the flamenco means and that feels like the tom and shiv essence of it all is like there is these embers of passion that refuse to be doused by whatever the situation is. And so that just makes this dynamic incredibly weird, especially now when you throw in another weird dynamic with the mats and stuff on it. I also just checked an article from Deadline. Now, this is back in 2015, but this is when they changed the rules. This is when the they did oh, the, for whole, the Emmys. Yeah, this is when they did the whole thing, right? Of like, well, comedies count as 30 minute episodes right. and dramas count as longer, which was the whole, you know, Orange is the New Black kerfuffle. They said, I believe, that if you appear in less than 50% of that season's episode, that mm-hmm. counts as guest actor. So that would be Ryan Cox then, as long yeah. as we don't see any flashbacks, or, which I can't imagine we will, but um, interesting. So, yeah. So, I mean, I feel like he's like a shoe in I don't know who the other contenders are, obviously, yet. But, like, goodness gracious, I feel like Brian Cox winning a guest spot would be, like, a pretty easy win for him. I mean, um, in general, do they even need to have the Emmys? This year, should the Emmys just be the primetime Emmy Awards present succession? Because, like, I feel so terrible for things like Better Call Saul, for, you know, even up-and-coming shows that have gotten a lot of critical praise, like The Last of Us. They're just going to get completely blown out of the water. Succession is going to win every single category it's nominated in i'm fairly sure yeah i mean it's going to be more of the same this has been happening ever since the show has been on it's critically acclaimed i think uh, we're gonna see more of the same especially this is their final season so the final chance for people to win awards and um uh like uh like kendall likes to say it really feels like it's all bangers like these are all bangers every single episode of seasons four season four thus far has been absolutely stellar um we'll get into rating the actual episodes later but I don't know that they're going to miss uh, this season. It doesn't feel like it. It feels like we are really on a trajectory to just have a fantastic season, especially when you look at it, Mike. I know I was a little bit, I love all succession. All succession is amazing. It's like pizza. All succession is good. (laughs) But um, season three is certainly my least favorite. And I think that comes with like, you know, the COVID complications and it's only nine episodes and some of the political storylines weren't Mm. necessarily for me. Um, so I think coming off of that season, going into your final season, it's just been like no misses so far. So I re- I agree with you. I think they're going to sweep the Emmys again. There are a lot of misses. At least Shiv is a misses for now. She seemed <laughs> to become a miss, though maybe she won't. Yeah, their relationship is so interesting. I It took me a few watches to truly understand what was going on between Shiv and Tom because it doesn't exactly feel like pulling pigtails on the playground. It feels like much more pointed than that. But Mm -hmm. when I really think about Shiv as a character and what we've seen of her in these past four seasons, what we know of her to be is as soon as she gets any sort of power, she's immediately treating everyone else like they're her peons. Right. And that's how she's always treated Tom. That's like, that has always been their dynamic. And it very much shifted when he had the power over her for 
a brief amount of time. Now that she has the power again, she is eating it up. She's loving messing with him. It's like she is his little mouse plaything that she, you know what I mean? Or he is her ma- a mouse plaything, and she could just bat him around before she goes in for the kill. So uh, I was super excited by the end of this episode about the Shiv of it all, not to spoil, you know, the writing section later on. Really fantastic episode for mm-hmm. Shiv, especially given the events of the past couple of episodes. But upon thinking about it further, I'm going to put on my my Otome crystal ball and say, Shiv, you in danger, girl. Because I have realized maybe there's a different read we should take on Matson's choices mm-hmm. for the kill list. I think initially we read it as, okay, Shiv has suggested in this like tete-a-tete with Matson that, okay, Jerry would be good to help you through this. Carolina is great for this PR situation, given your blood. Uh, even though you are probably B negative, she'll make it positive. Uh, and Tom, you know, ATN, that's something that you want to keep in your back pocket. What I am a little fearful of is if Matson had kept Shiv, Carolina, and Jerry close to him, not because of Shiv's desires, mm. but because we know of Matson's perhaps predatory behaviors. And the fact that he likes to keep women in his proximity to be his own mouse play things, to go back to your analogy. So even before that, I was thinking like, okay, this, you know, she's essentially inviting a vampire in. And we know how dangerous that can be. Uh, We have an entire HBO show that describes Mm -hmm. that. But it does make me a bit more worried that like these choices were actually more about Matson than they were about Shiv. I could see that. It's. T- I mean, the thing is with Matson, he's so unpredictable and so erratic that it feels like getting into bed with him, whether that be business or personal, uh, feels like a very bad idea because you just don't know when he's going to up and change his mind suddenly out of nowhere. And he's rich enough where he can do that. And yeah. right. He says uh, last season when, when um, Roman meets with him, he says, oh, I'm so bored of success. Failure is way more interesting. Like he's just somebody you cannot not predict so whether or not that is the reason he decides to keep carolina uh jerry and shiv you know kind of on his side i would be worried no matter what if i'm shiv in getting too close to him because he uh right now while she does have some semblance of power she's certainly underneath him in the pecking order and so it could be really concerning if and not that she is not intelligent enough or can't hold her own but We've seen her make mistakes when, right, we see uh, Logan had promises her the world. Oh, you're going to be yep. the next CEO. And she finally, finally lets herself believe it and gets burned. And I feel like we could see the history repeating itself with Matson. I hope she's smart enough to realize, like, this guy is just, like, how erratic he is and that she needs to be careful around him. But uh, based on what we saw of that kind of final moment of her on the PJ, where she's not only kind of toying with Tom a bit, but she's taking the photo of Roman and Kendall sulking on the plane to send mm-hmm. to Matson, it feels like she's soaking it in a bit too much. And that's when she tends to get sloppy. So right. exactly. I'm a little nervous for Shiv. Don't get cocky, kid. I mean, let me also come out here with a bit of a hot take that I've kind of been marinating on over the past week. Because I've certainly seen people look at Matson's actions this episode and be like, okay, 
is this 5D chest? Did he put out this blood story to like make him seem this certain way? So Shivel suggests this. Did he, you know, act that way up on the mountaintop because he wanted them to to talk to him that way? So then he'd end up buying. No, in my opinion, Matson is a moron. There's a reason why they both begin with M and end with N. This to me just reeks of like a man who has always had the ability to throw enough money at a problem and solve it that I don't think he ever lives with the consequences of his own actions. No, he he gets bored and he moves on, right? Yeah, or if he does run into an issue, he can just hire a lawyer or a PR person to fix it and then he can move on to the next thing. So no, I don't think this is any sort of Machiavellian, well, actually, I wanted you to do this so that I could respond with this. And that perhaps makes it even scarier right yeah they are not, unpredictable yeah they're not dealing with order they're dealing with this factor of chaos what i've been thinking about matson in the role that he plays is i know jeremy strong talks about this i think in the uh, the after the episode mm-hmm. about how matson steps into logan's shadow a little bit i feel like if we're going to breaking bad logan is the gus fring mm-hmm. and matson is the uncle jack this like oh. new antagonist who steps in at the 11th hour who like sort of has qualities to previous enemies, but clearly just stands in the wake of that giant, quite literally. Uh, maybe it's also, you know, the uh, Eastern European affiliations, not to say Matt's is affiliated with that. That's more of a Ravenhead situation that uncle Jack would love. Uncle Jack and Todd would love. Oh Ravenhead. yeah. They love ATN, but I do think it's interesting to see the role that he plays here of maybe like a necessary evil. I'd be intrigued to see what role he's going to play in the rest of the season. Now, was this the big Matson episode? I mean, I guess we saw in the next time on, he is going to call Shiv, but like all he has left yeah. to do is to basically sign the paper, right? It seems like, yes, that's the case, right? Because they, he's ba- basically bear hugged the the company. Uh, he's given them a price that they really can't refuse because the, the board is going to approve it. Um, but I feel like he's going to be in at least a few more episodes poking around where his nose doesn't really belong. Um, and I think that's going to cause Shiv some, some trouble. Cause I, I agree with you. He isn't, he isn't as Logan-y as one might think upon first appearance. Mm-hmm. He's simply, he's very rich. He's very powerful and he's a bully like Logan. Like those yeah. are the similarities that they have in that. It feels like as soon as Roman and Kendall walk into that room and attempt to negotiate with them uh, or with him, he's putting them on edge. He's yep. immediately like pushing them into things that they don't necessarily want um, because he does hold the power. So, yeah, certainly an unpredictable character. And I'm really interested to see what they do with him going forward this season. Um, but shift gears a little bit, taking in that that one scene with with Roman up on the mountaintop with uh, Matson. Um, it's really interesting because in a in a variety interview with Kieran Culkin, he talks about how on one take of that shoot, because he said, "Oh, I didn't even realize they used the one where I was sitting." Because apparently he did so many somewhere. He was he's mm-hmm. like he's a very tall man. I had to get <laughs> high level with him. Um, but he says one take that they didn't use where Lucas is like peeing on the rock. Um, he has this little pouch for like the the fake pee, obviously. 
And apparently Kieran Culkin went and unzipped and tried to pee next to him, which wasn't in the script, but he couldn't pee. And then he remembered that it was established that like Roman can't pee in front of other well, men. Especially it was established in, in the, Madsen, the, yes. the very first Madsen interaction. I actually rewatched that like four minute scene they had in uh, yeah. season three, episode seven. And yeah, it's when they go and stream on the streaming app. Right. And he's like, Oh, just, you know, I have this thing where I can't pee in front of other men. And so, yeah, it would be fun to like, Bring that back for Roman and then have it, you know, almost double down on the change dynamic with Matson. But I could also understand why it ended up on the uh, the cutting room floor is we already had a metaphorical pissing contest for an hour. Yeah. I don't think we needed it to be literalized. No, obviously the take they chose was just absolutely perfect. Like no notes, 10 out of 10. It was amazing. Uh, and it was very funny because he he also goes on about, um, he, I know he had mentioned this earlier in the season. And of course he couldn't say what he was referencing because it would have been spoiler territory at that time. But in, in the same article, he mentions that at the end of episode three, when Logan dies, originally it was written that Roman wasn't going to go on the plane. He says, mm. I can't do it. I'm not getting on that plane. And he asks, Kendall, are you going to do it? And uh, and then Kendall goes on the plane and Roman leaves. But uh, Kieran Culkin had a conversation with Jesse Armstrong about it. And he was like, I just felt like that wasn't right. Like, my gut is that he needs to see. He needs to actually see Logan. Mm. And so they ended up changing it based on Kieran's suggestion, which I think is, first of all, uh, kudos to Jesse Armstrong for not being, like, an egomaniac and, like, not letting yeah. the any of the actors have Excuse input. Excuse me, did characters. you write the episode, Kieran? No, this is my <laughs> script. Get on but that I've, plane. I've always heard these things about, like, the collaborative environment that they've had on the show. And I really – I do think i think i don't know what you're if you want to weigh in but like i do agree that i think it would make sense that roman would be the only one who would want to actually go on the plane i go back and forth i agree in that like at that moment right roman was the one of the three he was the mole that was speaking to logan i mean the last message he ends up sending to logan yeah. is just this like absolute diatribe of like why are you getting me to do this i'm not just going to be your little lap dog so I get it from that perspective. I don't know, though, how it juts up against, like, his mentality in episode four and specifically in this episode where it felt like he was representing the denial stage of grief up until they went up to the mountaintop. And yep. I think it's a really pivotal moment when he ends up getting the DDP, the dead dad pick from Connor. And I don't think it's coincidental that he gets it on that gondola ride to this meeting with Matson. And then that's when he lets loose. It's like that final visage separating him from reality has shattered. And when that dam breaks, the water is going to be let loose. Like that's the feeling mm -hmm. I got from Roman kind of cycling through his feelings about everything, having his father's death invoked in so many ways, be it this living legacy in the form of ATN, be it, you know, his interactions with Matt's and him probably remembering in that moment hey, the first time he really bro down, you flat out asked me when my dad was going to die. And then here where, you know, he's going to invoke him once more and say like, I liked your dad. He was a prick, but I liked him. And you, he would be embarrassed for you too. Like, it's just the final straw. So it's tough because I think him going on the plane represents Roman's mentality in that moment. But I'm still trying to kind of think through okay, this was a guy that was the representation of denial throughout the entirety of episode three. You know, why are they stopping CPR on him, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And then we go on into, oh no, I'm pre-grieving. I'm fine, I'm fine. It's almost like denial about the denial. And I feel like for me, there's a bit of a gap 
between yeah. the end of season three, uh, episode three and the beginning of episode four. The way I look at him going on the plane is like, I have to see it to believe it type of thing. And I don't, and maybe that is when he starts, then he starts his journey with the pre-grieving, right? And then he's still not over it because they haven't had time to think about this. And mm-hmm. uh, Kieran Culkin does talk on the the HBO official podcast about this, about some people thought that like him having this outburst was a business move, like with some kind of play against Matson. But Kieran Cole, I, I never, I truly, it always has felt to me like it was no. an emotional outburst. He literally says else. like, you you could use this as a negotiating tactic, but just so you know, this is not a negotiation tactic. I legitimately yeah. hate you. Like Roman Roy would not be a good enough actor, in my opinion, to do that sort of, you know, 4D chess that we accused Matson of even having. Yeah, especially because when we look at Matson as like this version of Logan, right? This like diet Logan, this budget Logan. Um, this is also we we don't right roman doesn't know whether or not his dad ever got that voicemail he never really got the chance to stand up to his abuser Mm -hmm. um and so this is also a form of that not only is it a form of grieving but it's a form of like lashing out against your abuser that you you never and will never get to do um and so i kind of read it in all of those ways where he's both really pissed at Matt's and the actual person for making him come here the day after his dad has died and also giving them such a hard time. All Roman wants to do is complete the dad's deal. How many times this episode does he say dad's deal? That's all he wants. Secure his dad's legacy. He's the only one who is comfortable with doing what his dad would have wanted. Everyone else has their own kind of uh, ideas in mind, but Roman is very set on doing dad's specific deal. And on top of that, then we have Matson very much acting like Logan would, which sets Roman off in a whole other completely uh, emotional outburst, basically. So I really liked hearing about that from Kieran Culkin. I think it's very fascinating yeah. that like, I don't know how people could read it any other way because gosh, it's, it's, you could tell in the performance, it's just, he can't help himself. Yep. He's so over it at that L- point. Literally what happens is like, you know, it's it's like when you're at a bar with a very like increasingly belligerent person and like someone bumps into them and you're Kendall like watching the rage boil within this person and you even caution them like, Roman, don't do it. And then he just does that, should I? Yeah, I'm gonna do it. And he just turns his head and then launches mm-hmm. into this tirade against him. That was 100% emotional, in my opinion, which is good because Roman is a character who masks upon masks upon masks his emotion, even in moments where he is most vulnerable, i.e. the bedroom. Like, he is still using humor or anger or displacement and trying to reflect back onto others to distract from, like, what he is feeling in that moment. So this Mm -hmm. is the most vulnerable I think we've ever seen Roman Roy, in my opinion, it may be honestly the most vulnerable we'll see him again. Cause I think to your point, this also for Roman may have served as like a nice way to, for him to give his own final words to Logan. I know he said on the HBO podcast about how he actually liked the idea of Roman's last words to his dad being that voicemail, because while on the one hand it is standing up to your abuser in the other side, it's in his hands, you know, like, for all we know, he didn't even listen. Yeah, so. it's a voicemail. You're not speaking to someone directly. So there is a bit of like a, a Kieran Culkin says like a bit of cowardice to it as to like, you know, uh, it's like when you like breaking up with someone over a voicemail, you know, like you're not speaking to them directly. You're not giving them any kind of ability to talk back. Um, so it's it's really killing two birds with one stone for for the way Roman likes to operate. 
Right. Um, but, but it yeah. also opens the door for him to be like, okay, if I could speak to him, this is what I yeah. would say. It's Schrodinger's voicemail. Did you know <laughs> he both did and didn't listen to the voicemail? Yes, exactly. And so therefore, I mean, listen, we know that he's dead, uh, but it, that voicemail is very much alive and his spirit is very much alive mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. Um, let's shift gears a little bit because uh, our own one Josh Wiggler um, had, uh, we have a, we have a couple of different interviews, uh, one of which he had oh. with the amazing Frank, Peter Friedman. Ah, the amazing Frank, who I just found this out this past week previously had a career as a Sesame Street puppeteer. What? Who did he, does he do a specific character? No, so I believe he had done some stuff with the Muppets in terms of puppeteering. But I Mm -hmm. think what he's most well known for, they said, is like he was on the Muppets show, like the OG Muppet show from the 70s, dressed in, I believe, a human-sized carrot costume doing some sort of dance with Gilda Radner. A human-sized carrot costume? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Wow. Good, good for you, Peter Friedman. I mean, is, is this going to unfortunately speak towards, like, Frank's ultimate fate? That he's going to be consigned to, like, doing... Uh, is he going to be in the mascot costume at the end? He's going to go back to the I theme mean, park like Greg did. Here's the thing. It feels like Frank and... Based on their reactions from Frank and Carl... They just seem very okay with their golden parachutes, right? Like, they're very much like, hell yeah, 192, amazing, sounds great. When they find out they're on the kill list, they don't really seem bothered at all by that fact. Yeah, which is really interesting. I mean, it's it's talked about, I think, in the interview with Peter Freeman, right, where they're asked, like, why do you think Carl's so nonplussed about being on the kill list? And he says, well, if Logan's out, the company's attraction is out for me. It's time to start the rest of my life. I do worry mm-hmm. about Kendall and the kids, I guess, but it's time for me to stop worrying. And yeah, this is something that I know I brought up when I was on with you all on the uh, the recap this past Sunday that, yeah, I mean, Frank says this during the Logan death episode of like, he was my friend for 40 years. And I have to imagine maybe like, I don't know, 67% of the reason why he kept coming back to Waystar despite being yeah. fired multiple times over the course of the series is like, his loyalty to Logan, the person rather than Waystar. So I think it does make sense. You know, it's like being brought into an improv group by one of your friends. And then like your friend graduates college or leaves and you're like, I kind of don't want to do this anymore. I know I made friends here without him, but like at the same time, do I keep on to, do I keep on to be spending my time doing this after all? So I think it, it makes sense. I mean, you also see like him and Carl sitting out there away from the sauna, like, they're not going to do the same Michigas that all these younger guys are going to do right. of like trying to play fair with the opposition. They're sort of done with it at this point. They're experiencing corporate senioritis and it's leading to <laughs> the most rife comedic potential this season. Absolutely. I'm really loving the show leaning into the Frank and Carl and even add in Jerry to that crew as well. Anytime it's the three of them guaranteed laughs. Um, so that, that always that always makes me very happy to see them getting a little bit more content just because they've had comedic moments over the past four seasons, but nowhere near as much as they've had this season. And speaking to that, I know in, in Josh's uh, interview with, with Peter, he, they did talk about his relationship with Kendall and it had me thinking about the fact that Kendall is very close to Frank, right? Like mm-hmm. when Kendall leaves the company, Frank is, is, and 
Frank also gets fired and they end up working together for a while. When they're talking, when they're in this whole proxy battle, it's Frank who is the person Kendall is calling. Mm -hmm. And then to I'll go to another sibling. Roman and Jerry were very tight for a while. So it's interesting to me that like, and Shiv and, Shiv and Jerry had like a spark, a blink and you miss it kind of thing yeah. very early in the series. But that seemed to have fallen to the side. Obviously this episode, you may want to look at it as like Shiv is saving Jerry. But at the same time, it's really interesting that Shiv doesn't really have that person while the other two siblings do. Also, uh, I did find a photo of oh my Jim Friedman in the seven foot tall carrot costume. Okay, that's horrifying. It's, <gasps> it's why does it have a mustache? Well, I think it's been doing like a Clark Gable type of thing. Maybe it also does doesn't it have, have arms? arms. It doesn't have arms. <laughs> it does not have arms. It doesn't have arms. It has a mustache. It has some like Eugene Levy style <laughs> eyebrows. What is happening? I don't know why it doesn't have arms. Like Jim Henson was incredibly creative. He could have given the carrot arms. Poor Peter Freeman had to walk around armless and try to be as debonair as he could while wooing Gilda Radner. Yeah, this is a catastrophe. This is what this is. It's horrible. 100%. Oh my god, I'm so happy we found that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, that's gonna that's nightmare fuel. <laughs> If you're not watching us on YouTube, pushrecaps.com. <laughs> yeah, only here could you get exclusive access to Peter Freeman and his <laughs> Muppet outfit. Could you imagine him like Greg in the pilot episode just vomiting out of those carrot eye holes? <laughs> They're not big enough. <laughs> You'd have to vomit out of the eyebrows. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just imagining like he can't do anything, right? He has no arms. So if he falls down, he can't get back up. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, so Frank's relationship with Kendall is is super fascinating to me I know you pulled a, a quote that he had had about uh their relationship and how um like it's interesting that as an from an acting perspective like Peter Friedman wasn't given a ton in terms of like background on them no it really does seem like he is kind of reading between the lines but at the same time he also is coming in from the same perspective dramaturgically as Jesse Armstrong is from a timeline perspective where the majority of the interview is him just being like, yeah, I don't really know. I don't really care. I'm just kind of given the lines that I say them. Like he's not really deep diving into the meaty essence of this character as much yeah. as his compatriots. But when asked about Frank's relationship with Kendall, especially in the wake of that episode three scene, right? Where he's like, just to warn you, do you really want to get back in these waters again? He said, uh, when asked if he considers K Kendall a son, I think he might, especially because of the waywardness of Kendall and how much nurturing and controlling the kid would need as ha and has needed for his entire life. There's something pliable, uh, pitiable about it. I've tried to join with him on certain legs of his journey, but it's hard. What I'm given are merely the scripts, just like everybody else. One could infer from those, but in terms of embellishing from there, I wouldn't dare. I have to go with the bare bones. If I only seem to have words with him every long once in a while, I suppose that's true. I suppose that's maybe what it really is. That's really all what it is between them. Our universe is only click in the hallway or pass by briefly. And every once in a while, I'm in a position where I'm having to deliver a certain amount of news or I'm asked for a certain judgment and he'll come to me. So essentially, like the answer to that question was, yeah, but not a really close son of like, mm -hmm. I'll check in with you from time to time. You still doing good? Yeah. How about them Yankees? Oh, great. Nice talk. Bye. <laughs> yeah, it's fascinating because I think we all kind of saw that scene in episode three where, where him saying like he calls Kendall's son and he's like, you can't speak to the pilots. They're flying the plane, son. Right. Like 
um it feels very close like that they've like it's this godson like they've known each other kendall's whole life pretty much so um yeah it's it's really fascinating uh before we get into rating the roys uh i do think you had one other thing mike that you wanted to talk about here yes it's a small world after all let's go global here because i'm (laughs) sure many people including us were wondering hey those shit talking swedes the ones that were sitting around the table. And I mm-hmm. did come to the video dressed in my best Scandinavian rapist realness. So I want to really <laughs> blend in here. But I know this was talked about on the Deep Dive podcast as well. What do you think they were saying to themselves in front of the Roys who were none the wiser? And so someone on TikTok did a loose translation as they were listening to the scene. Amazing. It's nothing like incredibly surprising. Oh my God, the mystery was there the entire time if we just knew Swedish. Basically, what the person said, uh, and we'll link to this in the show notes from a, a user called at Lores underscore M, is that I think Matson says, we've all ended up at one big incestuous family convention. And I think, uh, I believe it's, what's uh, the uh, Oscar, uh, the assist mm-hmm. number one of Lucas, uh, replies, two meters of nepotism and the Habsburg giant. I think both of which are comments referring to Greg. Yeah, that sounds right. One big incestuous family convention is about the way to describe the Roy family. The other interesting tidbit is like, we know that they, that Matson specifically sent a list of like everyone that needed to be there. So they just added Greg on. It seems like that is that a Tom's request. They're like, oh, okay, Greg, you're also coming. <laughs> yeah, I think Matson was very surprised at that as well of like, mm-hmm. oh, wait who are you? You weren't on the list. It's like inviting someone to your party and then having an unexpected guest show up. I mean, I think for Greg's sake, he probably could have stuck to the shadows and like not spoken up in that moment yep. for a number of reasons. Cause then he's not pinging on Matson's radar for both, yep. you know, good and for mockery. Yeah, exactly. So that's interesting. Uh, one big incestuous family. Com- I mean, HBO loves incest. So I mean, I don't know if they love it. They love to use it, I would say. (laughs) They do. That they do. Are you ready to get into the rate, Royce, Mike? Yes, I have my half scores up and ready for you to carve apart. Monster. Monster. Should should we negotiate with these? Like, should you offer up a, a rating and then I have to either, like, offer a counter offer here? I mean, this has happened before uh, with uh, with Josh and myself on community building once upon a time where he was not in, in favor of me giving a score of zero to an episode. And he tried to negotiate with me uh, or else he was going to give it a perfect score. And you know what? I don't negotiate. <laughs> wow. Now we know what you would have done on that mountaintop. Yeah. Yeah. Big old yeah. F you to Matson. Yeah. You would have rather push Matson off of that and get charged with manslaughter than actually yeah. settle for a price. Yep. Definitely. <laughs> um, so let's get into it. Let's rate some Roy's. Uh, Logan is not here. I have him as not applicable. His presence is going to be felt throughout the rest of the season. But we can't just, like, be, like, giving him readings willy-nilly. That's not how this works here. Is it the further we get, the colder and colder the body gets, the more it starts to wear kilts? The more we're like, okay, he's had less of a direct impact and therefore should not be rated? Yeah, I mean, maybe if we actually see his body at the funeral, then we do. But I don't think that's going to happen. And I guess this will uh, carry over to the Connor part of this conversation. Where do you think that landed? Because, like, 
Connor said he was going to Karen about it. And then we get the picture. Do you think him or Marsha ends up winning the argument here? I mean, it's tough to... Marsha is a force to be reckoned with. I feel like she's going to do some stuff. I mean, the thing is with like most funerals, you usually don't see the person's lower half. So that's why I'm a little concerned about like, I mean, are we even going to see a kilt? I'm thinking like full snow white glass coffin i'm talking like logan roy (laughs) wants to talk about how transparent he was as a person and what's more jess i actually have some screenshots from next episode that i was able to scroll away from hbo great believe it or not logan roy dressed in a seven foot carrot costume (laughs) really strange with those massive eyebrows (laughs) with those massive eyebrows like well dad did have bushy eyebrows and yeah he didn't have any arms i forgot about that uh i mean honestly hopefully we don't have to see a, a dead body of Logan next episode that would be too much no it was enough when we just had like the dummy or whatever they used to brian cox during those really gruesome yes. plane scenes in episode three um so where do you want to go first who do you want to rate first Mike? well i think let's start with uh the three effeteers as they refer to themselves in this yes. episode like should we start with our holy trinity of, of roy siblings at the top Let's do it. It's interesting because I have them rated almost exactly opposite of what I rated them Mm. last week. Uh, Positions have totally flipped for me, in my opinion. I gave Kendall a one. He is the one who is kind of like pushing forward this like, oh, we should just run the whole thing. He's trying to manipulate Roman and bringing up this is how dad would have wanted it. He's not going to live up to dad's legacy. And it completely backfires against him. Now, I didn't give him a complete zero because I do think this is actually what's best for him. Mm-hmm. But it's against his his actions of trying to make it happen. So yeah, it's, it's, it's not what he wants, his, but probably what he needs. Yeah, against his, you know, pettiness, I would say. of Like, yeah. he wants to do this. He wants to take the deal for his own reasons. And it doesn't work to his bank accounts betterment, but not to his emotional status. Exactly. So I ended up giving him a one. Where did you land with him, Mike? I gave him a two and that's being kind just because what I did admire about Kendall is his ability to stand up to Matson. that like all this weird tennis that Matson was playing where like halfway through he switches to a football and then he swaps out his tennis racket for a ping pong paddle three quarters of the way through like the sport keeps changing and I appreciate that Kendall is trying to ask the WWLD of it all and is trying to give his best F off as he literally does in the cold open here. There was this one moment where, you know, they're doing the the Swedish talk in front of their faces. Kendall actually defends Greg, which he'll use yeah. that opportunity to like bank on something later. And then he literally says, do you want to do this right here? Which if you heard in a different setting, is literally the first thing you hear before a fight breaks. Oh, those out, are fighting right? words. Yeah, yeah. Like, what do this? What do this right here, bro? You want to do this right here? I gotta say, yeah. uh, something shades I've... of Walter, right? In season exactly. one, like a lot of dude bros. Something I realized uh, that I, I don't know. I guess has just been in my gray matter for watching four seasons of Succession. I can count on one hand the number of times I've seen Jeremy Strong's upper teeth. He has such like a hang dong expression. He's like he's a bit uh-huh, of Eeyore-ish, right? Uh-huh, yeah. Yeah. Uh huh. Okay. Okay, we're like, yeah. I just can't, I, I don't see these chompers. <laughs> Show them off. Kendall, you paid for those teeth probably, or at least your dad mm-hmm. has, but he always just has this like very long face to him. Uh, so I give him the two for being able to look Matson in the long face with his long face and like try to call out the BS when it sees him. 
but that's as far as I can go. That's my personal limit. I cannot negotiate any further because, mm-hmm. like you said, he tries to be Alistock this situation, and much like those producers, ends up falling flat on his face. Yeah, uh, and with for that same kind of logic, with, with a little bit more of a personal emotional uh, twist onto it, I gave Roman a two, and mm. the only reason I bumped him from a one to a two is because he tells off Matson. Like, I think that is a step in the right direction in terms of grieving. Is it a smart business decision? Absolutely not. But it is a step in the right direction for him to kind of process his dad's death. And on top of that, I also wanted to give him a little bit of credit because he is living up to the promise of trying to include Shiv in these things. He's the only one throughout this entire episode we say, hey, should we get Shiv in the room? Hey, let me call Shiv in. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so I wanted to be like, you know what, Roman? Like, you are actually the only one who seems to give a single F about like the family unit staying together. So I gave him a two. Yeah, so I guess I'm grading on a curve or perhaps a slope <laughs> a la our Olympic wannabe bronze medalist here. I gave him a three. Lindsay mm-hmm. Wilson brought up a really interesting point on um, the deep dive about the roles we all play in family. My mom is one of five kids. Uh, she is. She was sort of like in the shift situation where she was one of two girls and she was the second youngest and found mm-hmm. herself caring for her younger brother. And it's so interesting to see Roman take on almost like not the protector role, but to your point, sort of like the peacemaker of yeah. the family. I mean, it's interesting in that when I first watched this episode, I feel like where we went to in Norway invoked so much of Camp David to me, which is a nefarious peacemaking site, only to see mm-hmm. like things go not so peaceful here. That Roman really does have this attitude of like, can we all just get along? Yes, I want to make sure that what we promised Shiv does come true. It's interesting how much he does care about family, considering how Mm -hmm. completely shrewd he is to, like, everything else in his life, right? Again, go back to that scene where, you know, it's found out about um, Mencken having the direct line to the editorial and Roman being like, "Ah, yeah, yeah, you know what happens. And maybe that's just because Mencken is his guy, but, like, that's a very amoral, illegal thing to do. Oh, yeah. And and Roman's like, eh, no skin off my back. So it's interesting to see how he prioritizes and why he prioritizes. But yeah, I went with the three here just because he gets a major bump, in my opinion, much like what Matson took before meeting with Shiv uh, in him telling him off because it felt like such a peak, ironically enough, given the location for the character, three mm-hmm. seasons worth of buildup, let alone four episodes of season four's worth of buildup into just this incredible emotional outburst that I am so excited to see where this character goes from here. Like, is the monkey truly off his back or has he become the monkey in the process? Does he now possess Mm -hmm. the flip switch rage that his father once had and laid down upon him? I'm really intrigued to see where that's going to be moving forward. I think this feels to me like a one-off occurrence. I can't imagine this is how Roman is really going to operate moving forward, especially because it, really had a negative impact on the the end result of what they wanted. Mm-hmm. I'm not that he necessarily can always control his emotions, but generally I feel like he leans more towards the side of letting things happen and roll off his back versus addressing them head on. That is much more of a Kendall or a Shiv move than it is a Roman move. Um, but speaking of Shiv, I give her a four. I, I don't know 
how she could have done much better this episode with the very limited information that she has. She very acutely is aware of like, there's bad press about dad. What's up with that? Now there's something that leaked about this meeting saying we're not getting along. She's putting two and two together. She knows she's getting left out of things left and right. And so she takes the bull by the horns and addresses it head on, gets the deal pushed through despite her brother's attempts at messing it up. Um, and at the same point in time, it seems like she has gotten some semblance of power back, despite the fact that she isn't even CEO at all. So four for me for Shiv, like best episode she's had of the season. And honestly, best episode she's had in a good long while, it feels like. I think since the beginning of season two, when yeah. Logan sat her down and started grooming her to be the heir, right? Before she like actually then reveals the secret at the dinner table and meeting with the Pierces, like that was maybe the most peak shiv but since then this is the most concentrated peak shiv it has been i totally agree even outside of like what she ends up doing which we'll talk we talked about right like i don't know if the future is an exclamation point or a question mark but in the moment she's able to accomplish what she wants she proved that she was the most powerful roy sibling and actually getting to matson and then also at the same time throughout the episode to your point she is in the know of everything she's the one that is flagging all these things about Oh, the bad dad news. Oh, are you guys trying to tank the deal by doing all these things? Like, she is so acutely aware of everything around her, which has always been one of my mm. favorite qualities about Shiv. It's why she was one of my favorite characters for, like, a good majority of season mm -hmm. one until we started getting into, like, the ticky-tack into the marriage with Tom. It's just because she did seem like someone who had the best sense of things that did not necessarily yeah. have so much of an overweening ego that it blinded them to their surroundings. Maybe it is due to her gender and the fact that she was forced to like sit back and listen. Hell, that literally happened to her, right? In an episode where she was shadowing Logan and she was trying to contribute. Yeah. And they said, nope, sit in the corner and take notes that all you can do is observe. I think she was able to utilize her skills incredibly well here. Four letters in Shiv, four rating points this week. Amazing. Let's move on to uh, Shiv's partner, maybe soon to be not so much partner, Tom, who, gosh, I struggled with this one a little bit, I gotta yeah. say, because while, so originally, right, at the start of the episode, ATN is supposed to be carved out of the deal. He mm -hmm. is supposed to be, he's like, I'm worried about the three stooges, right? Like, I'm worried about them getting rid of me because they're going to have control of ATN. By the end of the episode, Matson is going to have ATN. Tom is not on the kill list, which is good, but Shiv is in bed with Matson, and Shiv is now seemingly controlling a lot of Tom's future in that she's like, oh, we can, I hear that Sid is, she's, she's uh, using too much power now that dad is dead. We should get rid of Sid. Um, it's a little off. And so I don't feel very good about Tom's position at the moment. I gave him a one. He also flicked Shiv, which I really didn't like. Yeah. So I couldn't even want to give him two points because of that whole situation. I mean, I don't think the two things are equal. If someone's kicking dirt on your white shoes, I don't feel like that qualifies you to be able to flick them. I'll give him the zero because <laughs> yeah. the good things that happened to him, the sparing few, were not by his hand whatsoever. Yeah. Uh, that hand that flicked the earlobe. It was purely by Shiv's whims and her wanting to keep Tom aboard for whatever reason, whether it was more metaphoric or her literally wanting to still keep him in the orbit due to, to varying factors. 
Yeah, I mean, listen, when you start the episode overhearing the CEOs saying, do you want us to get rid of Tom? I think we could easily get rid of Tom. Like, you are not in a good position, buddy. And we've talked about this on Sunday. Like, he is able to find somewhat of a landing place here after he was free-falling after Logan's death. But Matson is far from a good guardian compared to Logan. This is moving into a very different type of foster home where Matson is so flippant and doesn't have a relationship with Tom where he could just get rid of him. Like Tom's in a great position now, but if Matson does want to IKEA the F out of ATM, maybe at one point he does realize, okay, yeah, I don't want this guy anymore. Let's get rid of Tom. And like, yeah. As much as Shiv might be in his ear or earlobe, he's like, nah, F it. I want to get rid of this guy. He's too erratic. You can't control him. You can't You can't really even negotiate with Matson, as we've seen. Yeah. So it's a really bad spot for Tom to be in. And not only that, even his own direct relationship with Matson is not good. He embarrassed the hell mm-hmm. out of himself uh, with just giving these generic ATN-esque, you know, uh, rile up the crowd talking points of, well, we're late stage imperialists. We have our own Paris, and if it's burning, we'll build it all over again. I was intrigued as to what that meant. Does he literally mean, like, Paris, Texas? Or is he talking about, like, a New York City type of thing? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just... Tom is, Tom is in a really rough spot ever since Logan died, right? And, like, yeah. I just don't know that it's going to get any better. Like, we see Shiv save him at the beginning of the episode, seemingly, But I don't really necessarily view that as like a loving save. It's more of a like, well, he is the father of my unborn child. And also like, if I keep the toy around, I can play with it a little bit more. Um, I feel like that's kind of more of her angle on it. Hmm. So, but let's shift to Tom's partner in crime or maybe not anymore. Gregory the Eggery. Sorry, Greg Hirsch. Uri. Greg Uri Hirsch. (laughs) Um. Greg has an interesting episode in that he we, he starts off again like he's getting poo-pooed by the other people when he talks about like, oh, we're going to go get some hotties. And some Arctic foxes. Yeah. Um, but by the end of the episode, he uh, once again has Kendall using him. He's part of the quad, the quad squad. Quad squad. The, yeah. the family. La familia. <laughs> yeah. So Kendall is now using him, um, which does put him in a decently okay position in terms of uh his usefulness but how long is that going to last i have him at a two and that's simply because i feel like well at least he's useful to someone right now i have to believe greg is probably the biggest fast and the furious fan out of everyone oh, on no Succession, right like everyone else i feel like is living so far above the clouds they're like i would not touch that remedial blockbuster tentpole dreck yeah. with a 10-foot pole. And Greg's like, actually, I think, um, you know, uh, Dom Toretto uh, had some good points. You know, Corona is mm-hmm. a, a satisfying beverage if one's thirst needs to be slaked. Uh, so, yeah, I think Greg is going to get a one for me. Much like you, it's like he's on the Tom level. He gets the bump because as much as he is trying to manifest the quad squad, this is going to be totally tangential. Reminds me a bit of uh, Beast Mode Cowboy in Big Brother 16 pretending that his alliance, the bomb squad, was still a thing. When everyone else in the bomb squad realized, no, there's actually an alliance within the alliance that doesn't include you. Uh, I feel like that's Greg's mood at the moment. He's a pawn, but he's a piece on the board, you know, and... 
I'm glad Kendall is willing to use him for as long as he wants to before, much like season three, the bottom drops out. And we'll see. Will Greg the Leech continue to suck upon the siblings' blood, or will he find a much blood-based, uh, you know, compatriot in the form yeah. of Maxon, perhaps? Yeah. Oh, God, I don't even want to know what a scene with like Greg and Matson alone looks like. What a weird combo. It'd be um, a lot of gangly, tall awkwardness going on yeah. between the two of them. Yeah. Um. Let's hop over to Jerry, who has an interesting episode she is left off of the kill list meaning she's going to be retained um she doesn't really have a ton to do besides like you know schmooze with some mm-hmm. of the other uh people in norway but it does seem like she's in a decent spot right like especially compared to a few episodes ago when she's about to get fired you know she is still employed at waystar she's going to be retained now does she want to be retained by Matson? I don't really know. And so it's hard for me exactly to put a number on it. I did give her a three. Uh, I kind of want to move it to a two. You know, I'm going to go to a two. It feels like a two. She's just yeah. like, it's very like midway. She could go up or down. I feel like she's down the, down the middle. 100% middle of the middle of the fjord, in my opinion, mm-hmm. where she also didn't have a lot to do this episode. I feel like even a lot of the comedy we yeah. saw in everyone meeting their doppelgangers jerry didn't really because she didn't have an equivalent i guess her equivalent was matson uh in terms of ceo but it seemed like she remained relatively on the sidelines which didn't really give her any good moments but it didn't give her right. didn't give her any bad moments either like the one thing that really pinged to me was uh first the big pump up speech or you know clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose type of thing of, you know, we we were raised by wolves. I don't think Logan Roy really had a wolf sensibility to him. I think it's more like being raised by some sort of reptile, like some sort of Oh, yeah, he's a lizard person. Yeah, she does say he was a pathogen, which feels accurate to me. Yeah, I do Um, think Jared Mankin also would describe people as lizard people as well, uh, probably in some of his, you know, more substantial works. So, yeah, I think that Jerry did a good job of staying stable throughout this episode and good on her for staying on to your point. If she's not CEO, I don't know how much she wants to stay on. Mm -hmm. Does she want to, you know, look for other passages? Is she grabbing the golden parachute like Frank and Carl are doing so gleefully and jumping out of that snake filled plane? I'm not entirely sure. Yeah. Uh, So twos for Jerry. Let's shift over to the last, but the eldest son of the group connor he doesn't have a ton to do he's the one kind of dealing with the funeral arrangements um i couldn't go higher than a two don't text people pictures of their dead dads you know like that's bad it's bad form connor uh yes you're the one having to deal with all of this but just that's awful don't do it i give him a two Yeah, I don't know how to feel about this. I mean, it did feel fitting like a normal episode of Succession to your point earlier that, okay, Connor's going to be sidelined doing his own thing. He's the one left holding the bag, especially in a funereal sense. We saw this with the Uncle Mo stuff going on back in the the first couple of seasons. Mm -hmm. So this is something that Connor is not unfamiliar with. I also do love bringing back the Groomzilla version of Connor yes. that we saw all the way back during the uh the the big charity banquet in episode four of the series. I always love that aspect of him, just how absolutely petty he is. It's not a good look, but it's very funny him describing that Logan possibly looks like an effing Bay City roller. Uh, I don't know though. It's it's like a bit of a Schrodinger, you know, Schrodinger's coffin thing, as we talked about before, as to 
whether or not Logan's going to be dressed in a yeah. kilt or not. We don't know who's going to win. So let me err on the side of caution and give him a zero. Ooh, zero for Connor. Also, Willow was in the episode, so that means he's going to get a zero by proxy. <laughs> she did say, don't let them bully you. Don't let them push you around. So you know, she's supportive, I guess. Um, yeah, she's yeah. there. She's been dragged along. She's I feel so there. bad that she just like is imagining this honeymoon that she wishes she could be on right now. But between a funeral for like a, an uh, objectively evil man and having to also do a presidential campaign at the same time, it is far from a great start to this marriage yeah unfortunately for willa it doesn't seem like she's going on a nice honeymoon anytime soon uh let's shift over we have some more things to get through obviously the f-offs are dead because logan is dead so no more <laughs> f-offs well does does kendall's f-off count no but i did notice in my notes like it's like oh we had a roman f-off we had a kendall f-off it's like they're all kind of taking in their father like they're trying to go be logan in a sense with the f-off yeah. they're all trying to like put on his clothes and do like their best impression right yeah yeah but they're a little too they're a little too big for them i think they're just they're not quite fitting them i don't think yet um ken dads we only had three i feel like roman said dad like a zillion times but kendall only said it three times yeah which um, goes to show what you know we were talking about on sunday right that like kendall isn't saying dad now he's saying me yeah he's he's saying me and he's also saying logan a lot instead mm. of dad so um in terms of blanks dead, I have ATN is dead. It seems like they lost ATN in the deal. Um, we could also do, I mean, we could do Frank, Carl. There's like a whole list of people who are seemingly getting on the kill list. Yeah, but I would say Hugo's most dead because he is the one who felt it the most. <laughs> yeah, like if that. we're talking about a troop getting wiped out. Slalom mother effort. <laughs> yeah, you have like Frank and Carl that are like, oh no, I'm hit. Oh, but I had a good few years. Like, Hugo is going to be dragged kicking yeah. and screaming out of it, much like he was on the Kahana freighter back in Lost, just absolutely crazed. He does not want to leave whatsoever, especially given like the legal situations that happened mm -hmm. last episode. Shit continues to slide downhill for Hugo, much like his uh, Swedish compatriot in the Olympic Games. Yeah, I love that. Hugo's dead. Uh, Daddy's favorite feels like it's Roman to me. Oh, Roman yeah. is the only one who's worried about dad's deal and dad's legacy. Yeah, considering that Roman says what he says as a rebuke to your dad would be embarrassed for the two of you. The fact that mm -hmm. Roman tells him off in that moment, like that's what Logan would have wanted. He wants loyalty at the end of the day. All these tests he's done throughout the past three and change seasons were tests of loyalty to him. Yep. And so Roman passed at least this instance with flying colors. So I don't know. Could Shiv get a little bit of twinkle in daddy's eye because she was able to like be yeah. the one who ended up on top at the end of the day and was able to, to essentially do the manipulation. I think so. Although I do, if I know Logan by now, I feel like he would undercut her win a little bit by being, oh, well, you're, it's just because you're a woman and he wants to divulge that information to mm. a woman. Where, it, you know, the misogyny in Logan, I feel like would immediately take away some of the actual points that she earned. Oh, yeah. Logan is the master of not only the backhand, as is displayed with Roman, but the backhanded compliment of like, yes. good job on doing this, but here's how you could have done better. Exactly. Um, we have the Greg versus Tom. Feels easy to me to say Greg won out this week. I mean, it's a matter of inches, though there yeah. are many inches involved with Greg's height versus Tom. But yeah, in terms of the race to the bottom, Greg was able to escape without plunging like Tom did. Exactly. Uh, and to the episode ratings, of course, we rate the episodes zero out or uh, zero to four. 
I, uh, I've given this season, I actually, based on my ratings, this might be my highest rated season so far. Um, I gave this episode a 3.75. I really, Woo! really liked it. I really enjoyed, uh, the actual setting, right? We actually, we're going someplace. We're in Norway, a beautiful, beautiful setting. I really liked a lot of the moves made by the kids. It felt like an exciting episode because you didn't really, while there's a lot of businessy crap happening, it felt like they did it in very manageable ways where I could understand. Okay, 144, anything above that, good. Anything below that, bad. You know, they put it into terms in which the viewer could understand. So I gave it a 3.75. What about you, Mike? 3.5. There you go, Kendall style. <laughs> I wrote down a number and just held it up. I didn't want to interrupt you and be as rude as I'm Kendall happy was. that you didn't write moron on it. <laughs> no, uh, no, because then that's Matson. That's not you. Uh, yeah, yeah I, I have very similar thoughts as you do, I think, listen, it's not going to be Connor's wedding. Nothing is going to be Connor's yeah. wedding. Not on Succession, not on TV this year, perhaps. Uh, so I think yeah. that's almost like unacceptable to compare it to. I do think the change in scenery is nice, but I always kind of have trouble with the episodes that change scenery just because it always takes me a little bit of time, much like their brains probably do with the the time zone jump to like calibrate to the new settings. Yeah. This one felt like the most discrepant, right? Like the outfits were incredible, but it was also in such a different environment that it did feel like it had a lot of mouths to serve as we were kind of like combing through the cast. Like this was a big episode for the big three, not necessarily for anybody else. And mm -hmm. so I, I do sort of give it a hit for that as well as like the big turn we gave for Matson. I understand the impetus for it and I really appreciate them going in that direction and the the you know the Logan successor that he serves as a different form of succession but I feel like it came a bit quickly for me to to make mm -hmm. it like a, an absolutely perfect episode but still substantially strong I think this Roman on the mountaintop moment Roman mountaintop is going to be you know in the highlight reel of the series just given what we know about the character at this point so I really cannot damn it that much yeah, excellent, excellent episode. I'm really looking forward to next week. We have now hit the halfway point. <gasps> oh, we're like barreling towards the finish line and I'm not ready. I'm not ready for it to end. Well, Jess, let's maybe give us uh, some brighter tones to how it could end. I have mm -hmm. something I'd like to propose to okay. you that we do. Because look, I, I do the Survivor BNB. I like to gamify things. And so mm -hmm. I thought maybe we could play a little bit of a game, not against each other, okay. but a little bit of a creative brainstorming activity. And those that are watching along with us can uh, send in their thoughts as well. We have five episodes left. Yeah. Can we create either a wish list or God help us like a bingo Ooh. card of things we either think or want will happen for the rest of succession? Okay. Yes, absolutely. There, I mean, there's so many things that have to happen before the show ends, right? Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I need to see a confrontation between Shiv and Tom, and I need a status update on their relationship, Yeah, <laughs> I think, right? We need to solidify what the heck is going on with them. So you think we're going to end the season with, like, a Facebook status-esque title for where they are right now? I think we're going to need to. I think that... I think that they have to, I think the conversation that Shiv didn't want to have earlier mm -hmm. this season is going to happen. It has to happen. They have to lay their cards out on the table. They have to get it all out there. Let all the emotions fly. I think we've seen Shiv be very resistant to being vulnerable in a lot of ways. And I feel like 
she says this episode, like there's a hole in her heart and she's had a migraine for 24 hours. I feel like that's going to build up to a point just like it did with Roman and it's all going to come spewing out at Tom. I'll throw out another one that is pretty low hanging fruit. A character will go to jail by the end of the series. Yeah, I could see that. Do you think it's going to be Greg or Tom? I don't know, because there's also this idea that people have been putting out of, like, could Shiv gain gain even more leverage over her brothers by, like, dropping the whole cater waiter at her wedding thing to, like, possibly put Kendall behind bars? Uh, I'm not entirely sure, but it feels like with the mats and stuff, we also might be dealing with the way the pilot ended of, okay, congratulations, you've sold the company off. Oh, also, Matson has all these buried bodies that he didn't want you to know about, and then, like, all this legality stuff comes in, and some characters are arrested for compliance somehow. I just feel like the threat of jail that loomed as large as the end of season two has to wring its head back again. Definitely. Uh, Tylese in the chat kind of pointed out something similar. Shiv is going to use Roman sexual harassment and Kendall's murder to push them out. I I definitely think we cannot end the series without some sort of Kendall's past coming back to haunt him, whether or not I've I've put my money on. I feel like he is going to have like a come to Jesus and uh, admit to it style moment that feels very full circle for who Kendall is. Um, but I think in some form, Kendall, what happened with the cater waiter at Shiv's wedding is going to come out. It feels like it has to. Whereas I think the Roman and Jerry stuff. I don't know that we're going to get any sort of actual ending or button tying, anything like that uh, with that relationship. I feel like it's going to maintain its awkwardness mm-hmm. for a while. I don't think we're going to get any sort of like uh, answer to what happened with them. Let me throw out another Kendall-based prediction. Mm-hmm. We have, have, and this is me manifesting it. Please, please, Jesse Armstrong, we need another cringe-worthy Kendall performance. Yes. Oh, I would love that because we didn't even get like, you'd think we would have gotten when he's uh, in the beginning of this episode, when he's listening to hip hop on his way to, to work. He's listening to yeah. Jay-Z. Like we didn't Jay- even get him like singing it. What's interesting is the Jay-Z song is called Takeover. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So he has, he d- he's all about a different song to sing, right? He's more buttoned up, but I don't know. We get shots of him on a stage next episode. It seems like maybe they're doing another shareholder meeting or something or some sort of presentation. We need it to happen we need a kendall roy song he's back on top when kendall feels like he's confident he mm-hmm. is going to be boisterous i want these this peacock to pull out his feathers in full yeah, plume cocky kendall we need to see it uh yeah you're right they did have a preview with a stage Ooh, that would be amazing i need to see it um in terms of gosh i'm gonna say in terms of how each character fares, I don't think we're going to get any sort of like epilogue, no kind of six feet under type of ending <laughs> for this show. Oh, imagine Sia singing a song as we see how every person yeah. on Succession dies. I just don't think it's going to happen. But I will say in terms of who ends up at the top or at the bottom, I'm going to put my money on Jerry surviving. Jerry is Jerry not only going to survive, she's going to thrive because that is who she is as a character. It's who we've always known her to be throughout all of these seasons she teetered on the edge of falling off of a cliff earlier got saved by the bell when logan dies um i just think uh if we're going with the way jesse armstrong operates and that people don't change jerry to me feels like someone who will find her way and will thrive in the end by the end of the series 
Carl will be on a Grecian island. Now, the question is, given the legalness that I was talking about Mm. before, there's a chance he ends up, like, faking his own death and going into witness protection (laughs) and hiding out on this Greek island. That's my pie in the sky. I would absolutely love that. That would be hysterical. And with what they're doing with Carl, wouldn't it? It would be like it wouldn't be that off centered for that to happen. Yes, yeah, like succession so... has a lot of ridiculous things happen on it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm gonna let's make a Marsha prediction. I feel like okay. we have been a little bit too quiet on Marsha being that she's back, which is yeah. huge. Um, I think Marsha is going to have some really, really over the top eulogy at Logan's funeral. Mm. And I'm hoping for it. And I, I don't, I'm also going to say, I don't think we've seen the last of Marsha. I don't think she comes in for just one episode. I think she's going to play a much bigger part. And part of it, I think has to do with Kendall because she knows what Kendall did with the cater waiter at Jim's wedding. And the only reason she had suggested to Logan once upon a time that he spilled the beans and he said, yes, but the blowback, the fire, Mm. what is, what is Marsha worried about? No more blowback. I think she's involved in something with that is what my, maybe it's a little bit more out there of a take, but I think that it's possible. I think with Marsha, she is going to inherit the vast majority of Logan's worth. Because uh, we haven't really talked about, yes, there was the crossed out underlined gate of it all, but that was just from like a miscellaneous document in the safe. We have not actually gotten to Logan Roy's last will and testament right. yet, which I've, it is interesting. I feel like that would be even more appropriate to the title of succession. But I do think as much as, you know, everyone was claiming like Marsha being, you know, a bit cucked, for a term that, again, Mencken would love uh, for with everything that he was doing with Rhea and with Carrie. I think her statements about their emotional connection are valid and that Logan Roy mm. will leave the lump sum of the vast majority of his wealth to her, which will then make her a big power player, almost coming full circle back to season one, right? Yeah. When Logan was not in a medical state to function and Marsha was speaking on his behalf. Yeah, uh to carrie i think i think we're done with carrie i don't i think maybe she makes an appearance at the funeral uh to marcia's chagrin (laughs) but uh i think she gets blocked out of even entering it and i think we're completely done with carrie i don't think she's pregnant i don't think we're getting any of those storylines i don't think we're even going to see roman get with carrie or call carrie or anything like that i think we're completely done with that character oh interesting i disagree because i pictured in my head right now episode 10 of succession we see it in the background. This is a Matson version of ATN, which has been gutted, which has been like refocused. You know, all the old guard are out. And we just see in the background on a TV, Carrie sitting there at the desk, wide eyed, gleaming like a toothpaste commercial, not knowing what to do. I think we're going to have the comic ending for Carrie where she does end up as an ATN anchor, but it's mm. at a point where ATN is at an all time low. That's fun. Yeah, uh, Stuart is predicting Carrie's going to turn up at the funeral and fight it out with Marsha. <laughs> no, I, I feel like Carrie's not that... She is aggressive when she feels like she has power, right? Like the way she was snipping at the siblings in the first episode and with Greg in the second episode. She feels so powerless right now. She feels more like despondent. That That doesn't mean anger to me. It means more sadness. Yeah, I think she's more at a loss with what to do, just like her whole world has been ripped out from underneath her. So, like, it's... I. But I... Yeah, she can be vicious, but I feel like she recognizes that, like, 
the way she's vicious to Greg is not going to play with Marsha. Um, I'll throw out another one here. Yeah. Because obviously we talked about like the specter of Logan Roy hanging over everybody. Mm-hmm. But there is another Roy who has been absent. I think Ewan is going to make an appearance in this season. We have not seen yeah. him in season four. I would imagine he shows up for the funeral because, right, he was the one that said, right. like, I hate him, but he's my brother, which is why he doesn't vote for the vote of no confidence back in right. season one. So I think we are getting our James Cromwell appearance, which is going to make him and Greg interacting all the more fun. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I feel like he has to show up at the funeral because we didn't see him at like the wake. So it would make sense that then he would come to the funeral instead, being that he doesn't fly. So he has to make the long trip from Canada all the way down to New York City. Um, that that definitely tracks with me. Um, I'm trying to think of any other like loose threads they would want to pull on. I don't really think the Shiv photo with Minkin is going to come into play. Oh, in terms of Connor, I do think that Connor's percent will come into play in one way or the n- another in which like maybe it's very tight and Mankin needs his one percent and so he ropes in Connor to help him uh in some way by pro- making some sort of promise to to Connor yeah because I'm trying to think season four they said America decides right like an election themed episode seems to be happening in episode eight right so yeah. it's not happening next episode we still have a couple more I do feel like that's enough time it is interesting that we haven't seen Mankin yet yeah we did... we've heard about him but we haven't actually seen he was supposed to come to logan's birthday party or something and yeah and I, I i thought they brought in the bomb dog initially for him at the he wake, did but, yeah but, at, but but steven root ends up showing up to do double duty on sunday nights on hbo so i would imagine we get justin kirk showing up and yeah it could be something as him coming to connor on bended knee basically saying like listen, we're running a bit low going in here. I need your 1%. And I think Connor will rebuff him as, you know, a final FU to ATN in general. Remember, he was not happy at Steven Root, the way he painted uh, Logan in his own little eulogy at the wake. And so I think that's the last thing Connor would want to do. He would rather give it away to those dang liberals then, you know, allow them to survive with a different image of who Logan Roy was. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Will has a question. Does Greg sue for more of a share of Logan's will? (laughs) (laughs) How much of it is going to Greenpeace? Yeah. Does the question mark hold up? I don't think so. I think uh, Greg and Tom are both similarly screwed, although I think Greg will reign supreme. I do think Greg is going to end up in a better position than Tom overall. Yeah, that's got to be the ultimate irony, right? Is like, this is a guy who Tom barely knew or acknowledged and just brought in as an easy favor under his wing and then became his whipping boy for season one in particular. It's got to end with the positions being reversed here. Maybe not that Tom will be greg's you know uh underling or anything yeah that that, that greg will be his superior necessarily but i do think greg will end up in a better position than tom in general by the end Mm -hmm. of the season yeah i think so uh any final predictions anybody we missed i'm trying to think of any characters that we didn't bring up oh boy i'm not entirely sure i'm trying to think uh does does Hugo survive at the end of the day? Poor, pathetic Hugo. How many no. episodes do you think we have left of Fisher Stevens on the show? Oh, I think we're going to see him for the majority of the remaining episodes. But I think I think that he's completely doomed. I, I think that maybe we'll see him for like three more episodes. 
maybe two, and then he's 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 gone. He's doomed. oh, actually, one final prediction, and yeah. it works appropriately for this episode and the main focus therein. I think Matson leaves Waystar Royco at the altar. I think we are oh, going to get okay. this big buildup for this big deal. Matson's going to change his mind for the umpteenth time and is going to like go completely off the grid. Nobody can find him, take off to parts unknown. And so now after all of this, the kids are still left holding the bag. And I think yeah. after that, like I'm assuming now they're, as Shiv says, right, they're going to probably be in the process of restructuring ATN. And so they're going to be left with like what they were hoping to pass off. And now they're left with the scraps. Yeah. I'll go one step further and say, I agree with that statement. And I think it will be in, uh, in part due to Shiv. Something mm. Shiv does, I think is going to be the impetus for that happening. Yeah. Cause I mean, Shiv's loose lips, as we talked about with, you know, the Pierce mm -hmm. meetup have certainly gotten her in trouble before. I would not be surprised if, as you said, she gets confident. She says something and then Matson takes it and runs with it and literally exactly. runs away with it. Yep. I agree. So those are our predictions. That was our weekly wrap up. Of course, we'll be back again next week with episode six, a wrap up of the sixth week of succession. We only we're halfway through. Um, if you want to subscribe to the podcast, postshowrecaps.com slash succession. Of course, you could also see other things we're covering. So much TV right now. Postshowrecaps.com slash subscribe is where you can go to find all the top shows that we are currently covering. Speaking of Mike Bloom, what are you covering right now? What do you got going on? So listen, if you're watching HBO Sunday night and you happen to keep your TV on once you're down from your succession high, you may know that Barry is also running for a fourth and final season. It has been such a blast. Three out of eight episodes have aired so far. Episode four will end as it usually does right after succession on Sunday. And right after that episode drops, I will have my podcast with Latanya Starks covering it all. Barry is just such an incredible show. We were talking before about, you know, Emmy rules being changed almost 10 years ago to say what's a comedy, what's a drama. Barry is a great example of that. Bill Hader has described it before as like, it's not a comedy, it's not a drama, it's a 30-minute mm -hmm. show. And that is what Barry is because it is laugh out loud ridiculously funny sometimes, but it can also be incredibly dark and meaningful and obtuse and surreal at the same time. The directing and cinematography is beautiful. So we're reaching the halfway point with that as well. So LT and I will break that down. And then I can reveal now exclusively for the first time. I know that, uh, what did Matson say? He wanted to put ATN uh, in a fat pipe. I think that's the way that he mm -hmm. put it. We'll all be talking about maybe an equivalent to a fat pipe, Silo. So Ooh. Silo is a new Apple TV Plus show coming out with its first two episodes of 10 on Friday, week from today, May 5th. It stars Rebecca Ferguson, uh, David Oyelowo, Tim Robbins. It's a post-apocalyptic uh, series that takes place in a world, in a society contained entirely within a metallic silo and, uh, you know, all the trappings therein. It is based on a hit book series by, I'm just trying to remember, uh, by Hugh Howie. Uh, so I've been reading the first book. It's been a lot of fun. Really excited to see exactly what's going to carry over an adaptation. But I will not be alone. I will not silo my coverage from that perspective. I'll be joined by the great Dr. Amanda Rabinowitz. will be doing amazing. A, yes, weekly episodic podcast. Listen, it's an S show on Apple TV Plus. It was either going to be involving Amanda or of Melissa. Course. So happy to get Amanda on board to talk through silo. No idea what to expect, but it looks 
really interesting trailers have started to come out for it and it seems like a really stacked cast talent wise so no matter what the quality is we'll have weekly recaps up for you we'll put out a little bit of a teaser a couple days before may 5th just letting you know about the podcast our thoughts on the show in a spoiler free fashion and where you can subscribe to it as well but those are the big two things i'm working on as well as covering survivor or over on the reality tv side of things and the last thing I got to loop in about, I'll, I'll finish the way Josh finished the wrap-up show mm-hmm. last week here. Mrs. Davis! I say, <laughs> shaking my hands in the air. <laughs> what a goddamn ridiculous show, but so delightful, so weird, so wacky. We are now five episodes in. They aired the first four in a batch. They aired one singular episode this week with episode five. Josh was away, so I covered it with Joe Garfine, but we had plenty to get into. What I will say is if you walked out of the first four episodes of Mrs. Davis understandably saying, what the hell was that? Episode five will offer a lot of answers, which is great. Mm. But knowing this show, it'll also make you question said answers, which is also great. So watch the episode. Check out our coverage on Down the Hatch, as well as on our separate Mrs. Davis podcast feed. You can check out everything I'm doing out there on social media at a Mike Bloom type. You can find me at the Jess Sterling. This week for me was basically filled with yellow jackets in succession. And that's all, baby, because that's all I talk about. That's all I watch. Um, so I was I joined LT on the succession versus yellow jackets podcast this week because uh, Josh was absent. Of course, uh, coming up, we're going to have a special bonus podcast for yellow jackets because they took a week off of the show. Oh. Um, so yesterday I got together with Grace to do kind of like a mid-season check-in. We talked a little bit of, we did some theories, some speculating on where we're going to be going forward uh, from here. And then coming up uh, early next week, I'm getting together with Melissa and Marissa, the two M's, the two big M's, talking about trauma, how Yellow Jackets shows the processing of trauma and grief mm. on the show. Um, So we, are, we already recorded it. It was great. It's going to be fantastic. It, so. it sounds, I wouldn't say delightful, but the guests sounds delightful the company the topic not so much but an incredibly important topic and i'd be keen to hear you know specifically whether the show is handling the topic properly yeah we go through each and obviously it's not uh, a podcast where we're like diagnosing any characters or anything uh, Mm -hmm. like that but we do go through through character by character and kind of talk about how each one of those characters seem to be processing the trauma that they experienced when they crashed in the wilderness so definitely check out all those podcasts Stay tuned because we'll be back again next week to cover more succession. So until then, in Josh's absence, I guess I have to say it. I'm obligated. Do it. Do it. Everybody, F off. <laughs> P to the OD. Cast on the weekly about succession. So many pots per week. See.